0: Everyone, welcome to Hound Opinions. I'm your host, Bill Mayeroff. Compassion fatigue is one of those things that folks in the service industry talk about a lot. For those who don't know, compassion fatigue is the physical, emotional, and psychological impact that comes from helping others. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, it can cause, among a host of other things, burnout, depression, and anxiety, as well as both physical and emotional exhaustion. Now the place where I see it most, not surprisingly, is in my compatriots in the pet care world. We're constantly working to solve others' problems, and that can, and often does, take a toll. But what do you do when you realize it's happening? How can it be prevented or at least mitigated? And honestly, I don't know. And that's why I wanted to talk to this particular guest. Alex Fleece is a licensed clinical social worker in Chicago. After starting work in a group therapy practice in 2016, Alex went on to open their own practice, Three Tails Therapy, in 2018, and now also co-owns Chicago Center for Sex and Well-Being. Alex also lives with their partner, as well as three dogs, two cats, and a betta fish. All right, thanks for tuning in, and let's get to it. All right, well, Alex, thank you for joining me on Hound Opinions. Um, So today, um, we are going to be talking about, um, you know, commonly called compassion fatigue, and sort of how it can affect um, people in the in the pet care world. And, um, but before we, before we get into that, let just talk about, talk about, uh, your dogs a little bit.
1: Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, I have three dogs. I have a golden retriever, Donovan, who will be 14 in January. Um, I have a pit boxer named Xavier who will be turning five in November. Um, he is, uh, disabled. He was abused as a puppy and almost had to have his hind leg amputated um, when he's the sweetest dog. Um, And then I have a four-year-old black golden doodle who is a nut bar and thinks she's in charge of everything. Um, I love them all very, very dearly. Um, Before them, before Xavier and Bernadette came into our lives, um, I had a rescue husky that was a bait dog for a fight dog ring. Um, named Rohan, who I adored. and I grew up with dogs, so I love them. They're fantastic. I named my therapy practice after my three yahoos. So definitely cool. a dog person. All right.
0: Um, so you know i want to I want to start just kind of getting into sort of the idea of of compassion fatigue. It's one of those terms that you know, you hear kind of a lot, um you know, especially when it comes to people in, you know, in the service industry and in in you know sort of care positions. So, first of all, what exactly is it?
1: Absolutely. So, compassion fatigue, at its core, is sort of the emotion that we take in from other people, um, whether that be friends, family, specifically in the dog care industry, or even in therapy, or any industry where you're providing a service. Um, you're taking in other people's emotions and it's the fatigue you have in the care of others. So I liken it to something I like about my dogs and something I always find really interesting is you can sort of base their moods off our moods. Um, And so it's sort of, but it's that with people, except that we don't talk about it, right? Because the person providing the service is supposed to be providing that service and it's sort of this byproduct of what we're doing but it's huge and it can be really draining and is something that has to be addressed for anybody within the service industry.
0: Sure. Um so you know, I guess as far as you can tell like why don't you think it's it's talked about that much?
1: <sighs> That's interesting. I think in many ways It's not talked about because I think in some ways it's looked at as the cost of doing business. I think it's not looked at too, because as much as mental health has come to the forefront recently, I think that there's still a stigma about it. Um, And also I think us as humans aren't really great about talking about our need for connectivity, right? So at the start of the pandemic, when we're in lockdown, one of the things I think, especially for people that, were, that live alone is sort of this social isolation piece. And even if you're an introvert or don't even like people, that connectivity is still a huge part of sort of how we emotionally regulate and make decisions about the world around us. And without having that, inherently our body's like something's wrong. In the service industry, you're interacting with people, but it's on a very, very surface level, right? It's hi, how are you? How can I help you today? If there is small talk, it's constantly on repeat. That idea of when you greet someone on the street and you're like, hey, how are you? Like Monday morning at the office. Oh, no one's actually looking for the answer, right? But you actually, it actually causes more harm than good because then we're sort of then in the position of like, oh, I'm fine. Denying what your own reality is. So it really is, if you're going to ask that question, I really encourage people to ask something that they really want to get real feedback from people. Asking how you are and just expecting a, oh, I'm fine, doesn't help with that connectivity. It blends into this idea of compassion fatigue or the concept. It's not an idea. It's a very, very real thing.
0: Okay. Um, does that make when sense? You, oh, abs- absolutely. It does. Okay. Um, let, me, let me ask this. Um, you know, I know kind of when I was learning, you know, studying to to be a trainer and all that, um, you know, we weren't we weren't taught about, you know, this idea of, um, you know, this this emotional labor that we have to that we have to do as as trainers. And, and you know, we weren't I mean, it was, it was sort of mentioned, but not, not in any, any sort of real way. Um, How much of that, you know, when you were, when you were studying, when you were studying and, and and be a therapist, like how much of that was, you know, was taught to you?
1: That's interesting. Like it was taught, talked about in classes, but briefly, but as a therapist, you do multiple internships it was not talked about in internships where you're learning real life on the job, hands-on learning. Right. So gotcha. it was this sort of conceptual theory, but it w- it wasn't talked about. It was like this, like, Oh, that exists, but you need to figure that out on your own type thing. And I think in many ways it's a position where we sort of all all training programs for therapists really fall down in not having larger conversations. And I know we're talking about compassion fatigue. I think that also too, compassion fatigue and self-care really get sort of commingled sometimes in a way that doesn't make sense. Uh, Medium did an article about five years ago about uh, self-care that was like, it shouldn't be all like bubble baths and chocolate cake.
0: And they're okay. absolutely
1: right. So, like one of like when you're thinking about compassion fatigue, right? You also want to make sure that your self care is included, and that means making sure you're building a life that doesn't require that you need to take a vacation from it.
0: Got it. Okay. Is that yeah? Yeah. No. That absolutely that absolutely makes sense. Um, they go
1: hand in hand in a way that I think needs to be talked about conjointly.
0: Okay. Um, so, you know. It's something, you know, I know it's something that, um, you know, I've no, I've noticed, you know, times when I've been, when I've felt burnt out or just, you know, very tired of, of things. And tell me about kind of the first time that you noticed you might be getting into a place where, you know, that compassion fatigue and, and maybe lack of self-care was kind of creeping into, creeping into your life.
1: For sure. I, when it creeps for me, it, it probably when I first went into private practice a couple of years ago. Um, I know that it existed before that being a school social worker, but like the natural sure. cycle of schools comes with breaks and sort of gives you this falsehood that you're caring for yourself. Right. But when there was no one else in charge telling me to take a break or take time off um, the first time that it really, sort of jumped in is it, for me, creeps out in imposter syndrome. I come up with this moment of feeling like I have sort of, I wake up and feel like every client's going to quit. They hate the work that I'm doing with them. I'm not doing well at this and I need to just give up and go home. Got it. Um, And that's when I'm like, okay, is this this a me problem or a them problem? And it's clearly a me problem. But also when that imposter syndrome creeps in, it becomes a question of me asking myself, why is that happening? And a lot of times it's, I'm feeling burnt out. Um, Over the course of the last few years, pandemic withstanding, I've really tried to look at like take building in some natural breaks. Because what I have found is when I do take a break, I come back to my clients with like a fresh set of eyes on what we've been talking about. And I feel good about the sessions. And then when I hear verbal feedback from them, like, oh, that was really like, I got a lot out of today. I'm like, yep, that was needed. Glad we did that. We're moving forward. Um, but I also recognize, too, that for some people, it also comes down to what you're earning, right? Because at the end of the day, we have to keep the lights on and food on the table. Right. And so it's also making sure that like we're thinking about how we're building our life in a way that allows for breaks to happen, but also that we're taking care of ourselves and meeting our base needs.
0: Okay. And, you know, is there, you know, we're, we're talking kind of about, about people in sort of the service industry and in, you know, in in the care industries, but like, is there a more general, you know, type of person who is more susceptible to this
1: Honestly, I think it's anyone who's, I think that's a, that's a really tough question for me. Right. Because I think anyone in the service industry, I think people working with animals more so, um, or any sort of client that has a caregiver, but is nonverbal because you have multiple people or animals. I'm calling dogs or animals here as people. Right. Um, because you can only take what they're, you can only take their nonverbals in. Got it. Right. So you're not, it's not like you can sit down with a dog and have a conversation about right. what they're feeling. Um, in working with kids, sometimes it's not that straightforward conversation because they don't have a vocabulary or the emotional vocabulary to have that conversation. Um, I think it's also to people that aren't, that struggle with regulating their own emotions and then dumping it onto other people. I think it exists in many different. I think it can look differently in different settings. Like somebody in marketing may not be experiencing that, but if their boss is really stressed out and constantly dumping stuff on them, then yes, they may be experiencing that compassion fatigue exhaustion of like helping emotionally regulate the person that they work with for the greater good. But I would say that like specifically people that have, clients that do not speak a language they understand because you're dealing with trying to make sure that that client is regulated but also the caregiver of that client is regulated because those two impact each other so you're taking in a lot of emotional work from both all at the same time
0: okay so you mentioned um you know with with yourself when you sort of notice it creeping into to your own life, it sort of comes out in, in kind of imposter syndrome. And so I wanna talk a little bit about um, symptoms and like what people can actually look for, you know, in themselves, you yeah. know, to know you know, to start figuring out like, oh, maybe I'm at this point where I need to take a break or maybe I need to step back a little bit. You know, how, how do people how can people know that they're getting to that point?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Before I recognized it happening in myself, I would just feel exhausted and like I was getting sick. So I think it's one of those things like physical symptoms. Does your baseline day-to-day seem off? Do you constantly feel like you're working but not getting ahead? Um, Do you reach a point too where you're not ever able really to shut off work in any capacity? I think especially to like, Bill, for you, you work, you are a small business owner. I am a small business owner. The work goes twenty-four hours, right? You have to yeah. set those boundaries, and if you feel that even with those boundaries, you're sort of unable to set them and think about them, yeah, it's starting to creep in because you're never getting a chance to sort of reset and recharge and take care of yourself. Um, for me, a smaller a smaller symptom is when I start to feel I will like tell my partner or tell a friend, like I feel disorganized because I'm a highly organized person. So when I'm sort of like perceiving, so I would say that when people are starting to perceive the opposites of themselves or perceive things that may not be true, they're not looking through life at the, from the clearest point of view. And it might be time to just be like, okay, take a step, big step back, big deep breath, what's going on? So I think it's it can creep in in big ways like imposter syndrome, And in small ways, in like throwing off your routine.
0: Okay. Can it um, manifest itself uh, physically?
1: Absolutely, for sure. It can manifest itself in signs of anxiety or signs of depression, feeling tired, feeling anxious, um, feeling like you don't enjoy the work. That's one of the biggest ones when you just are like, I don't, this isn't bringing me joy right now. Um, not to sound all Marie Kondo or anything, but there's, it's very real, right? Like we do what we do because we're passionate about it. And when that, like, and yes, that passion should like ebb and flow. But if you're in that, if you're sort of in a valley for a really long, or like starting to feel like scared of that valley or you're stuck in that valley, it's for sure there.
0: Okay. Um, and you know, this is, this is kind of, kind of a big question, you know, is it, I guess, how can a person know if they're like, you know, in one of those valleys and, you know, maybe it's going to, you know, it's going to get better. Maybe they just need to take it, take a break, take a vacation, something like, something like that. And how, how, you know, how can someone know whether it's that or whether they need something bigger, like to think about even, even a change in career or a change in, you know, so, you know, something big.
1: Yeah. I'd say that there's a lot of ways. If you remember at the start of this, I talked about the importance of connectivity and true connectivity, right? I think that extends past having a family of creation or, sorry, a family of origin, you know, the biological family you're built into or your family of procreation, right? Sure. Talking to whoever you consider to be a close trusted person. I think no matter what field you're in, it's important to have a colleague who you respect, And so who you can sort of like that trusted person that you can talk to and bounce that idea off of. I'd also take some time for like reflection. I hesitate to use the word journaling because I don't like the connotation that it's been brought about in like general society. When I talk about journaling, I just talk about brain dumping. Brain dumping everything that's in your head and sort of seeing where it's at. Cause it's one thing when it's like swirling around in your thoughts. It's another thing when it's like pen to paper in front of you and you can look at it and like sort of sort through it and sift through it and be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that like all of this stuff was in here. Um, And I think that's sort of the flip, like, I think that's an important part of it, right? Is like sort of breaking down where that is, having a colleague. Also, too, if there is, if you have a mentor, that's great. If you don't, that's Okay. Um, as much as I'm not a fan of social media for so many reasons, sometimes like Facebook groups that about like, I know I belong to a bunch of Facebook group for therapists. And sometimes I get really good ideas just from other people in the field and making that connection and also just hearing that someone else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Because when we don't talk about it, we can feel very much like it's the loneliness of long distance running, that we are just- sure out here, buy our stuff, we're stuck at mile 21 of this marathon, and it's never going to end. And that's just, and the fact is there are resources out there. I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't say find a therapist and go to therapy. Um, Right. But excuse me, that's definitely a uh, occupational hazard from my end, right? (laughs) But that idea of connectivity and finding someone either within the field or through the internet or someone to talk to, because we need ideas to bounce off of. I'd even say bouncing it off other small business owners. I think sometimes we get ideas from other people that we didn't think of because it's not being talked about in our field.
0: Okay. Um, So I want to go back to kind of talking about that, talking about that imposter syndrome, because that is something that, um, you know, that I know I struggled with when I was first starting out. and, And I know a lot of, a lot of trainers struggle with it. You know, you're, you're being hired because you have some knowledge that someone else doesn't have but being able to sort of convey that is is hard without you know without coming across as arrogant and and all that um so how do you how do people how can people push through that and and sort of you know get themselves to that point where they're where they can be like okay i am i am good at this i know what i'm doing i know what i'm talking about and you know, I can still convey it to people without, you know, being like, you know, you should listen to me just because I know more than you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's an, I think it's a big thing in how you frame it, right? It's I have the experience. I have the knowledge. Everything is different. I think it's also going back to connectivity. We're going to figure this out together, right? You're bringing the knowledge. For with a dog, the owner's bringing what their day to day is because that trainer doesn't know what day-to-day life looks like for that family. Right. And for me as a therapist, it's cool, let's we're gonna figure this out together. You're driving the car, I'm just holding the roadmap and pointing out different places we can go. And I think it's the same in your in your field as well as the trainer. Yes, you have a ton of practical knowledge and understand this. Let's apply it to the situation because every situation's different and we're gonna figure it out. I'm a big proponent of owning the fact that like everybody makes mistakes. Okay. So the fact is we may try something with a dog and it may not work, but yeah. that's okay. We learn just as much from a mistake as we do from, we learn more actually, I think more from a mistake than we do from a success.
0: Okay. Um, and us, so how can, sorry.
1: no, that's That's right. Place... How, um... Go ahead. Thanks. It puts us in a place where we like learn to tolerate productive struggle.
0: Got it. Okay. And, you know, as then, then how can someone who is, you know, sort of suffering from that imposter syndrome get themselves through, you know, you said, you said yourself, you've been, you've been in these places where you're, you know, you've thought like, I'm not, I'm not good at this or, you know, every, all my clients are going to quit. And, you know, I've certainly had, you know, had same, you know, had similar thought patterns in, in my own work. And so how do you, you know, how can someone who is the, the sort of service provider, the care provider, how, how can they, push through that and, and again, get, you know, get into your own head, you know, and, and sort of convince yourself that like, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay at this.
1: Absolutely. I think, I think a key part when we're in that place is again, that idea of connectivity, talking to someone and reflection, right. Starting to dig in to what's going well, what's going not, because at the core of this imposter syndrome, there's some element of fear, And fear is sort of this secondary emotion. So it's, you want to dig down and be like, okay, what are you afraid of? Honestly, what are you afraid of? And that is what led me to the first time to realize like, I'm just burnt out and I don't feel like I'm doing good therapy. And sometimes it's, I don't feel, I feel like I'm working too hard and not making the kind of money I want to be making for the effort I'm putting in, or I'm not doing the exact kind of work I want to be doing or I wanna be diversifying what I'm doing in my field, such as, I don't know, starting a podcast. So really trying to think about there's, I look at imposter syndrome as a moment of hitting pause and reflecting on what I've been doing, because why is this feeling coming? Because things have been going okay. What what caused this sort of break in the path?
0: Okay, um, and I want to um, get into something you talked about a little bit earlier, um, the idea of self-care. But actually first, we're gonna take a quick break.
1: Dear Music Lover, Think about your favorite recording artist of all time.
0: Now think about their best album. Now for the record, I totally agree, it's their best album. No, 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 not that one, that's overproduced. But it has their most honest songwriting. These are the kind of amazing arguments we have all the time on The Chartographers. It's a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we bring in a guest to rank a musician's entire discography from worst to first. One week, it's Joni Mitchell. The next week, it's Metallica. And the next week, it could be Kendrick Lamar. So tune in! We've done over 60 different discography rankings each one better than the last. Available wherever you get your podcasts. So keep on listening, because you know that will be. All right, and we are back. Alex, thanks again for sure. joining me. And uh, so I want to go back to, to something that you were talking about earlier, and that is, um is self-care, because you talked about how self-care and um sort of compassion fatigue they should be kind of talked about together and they, they tend to kind of go hand in hand. Um, So I think, you know, you said, you said earlier, you know, self-care is not all, you know, it's not all bubble baths and chocolate. And I think that is sort of the perception of it. That's, that's out there. So like, first of all, first of all, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you um, what, what are, what are some ways that self, or what are some things that self-care can look like for you?
1: Um, Routine is a big one for me. Uh, I'm a very routine oriented person. So self-care for me is making sure I have a routine and what that looks like. Um, In the last few years, it's also been meaning like having good sleep hygiene. So like I put in like an old fashioned alarm clock in my bedroom so that when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can see the time and I'm not tempted to pick up my phone to see what time it is. Got it. Because once you pick up that phone, you're seeing all those notifications. Um, It's also... I put my phone down at least a half hour to an hour before I go to sleep. Um, I have a set time. I stop responding to emails. Um, Given the fact that I work a full-time job and run two businesses, um, that gym time is pretty non-existent. So it's about meal planning and making sure I'm eating eating somewhat healthy, making sure I have water, um, general health, like, getting a physical and taking a daily multivitamin, vitamin C. Um, and also too, taking a little time to like at the beginning of the month, like looking at my calendar and being like, okay, I want to build in some like intentional social time, right? The small talk gets tiring. What do I want? But also making sure that I'm building in that time that I can just lay around and binge Netflix if I want to as well. So I think it's also looking like big picture, small picture, like what is going to make my day-to-day easier? But also, like, what do I feel like I need, or what do I feel like I'm missing?
0: Okay. Um, and you bring up something really interesting. Um, you know, you say you look at kind of your calendar at the beginning of the month, and you and you yeah. figure out sort of when you can build in some some intentional social time, some some break yeah. time, and all of that. Um, you know, I think I think there's kind of a perception that, like, you know, if you if you schedule your breaks like that, they almost become not as much of a break because, you know, you're, you're looking, you're looking forward to them and you're already thinking about, you know, kind of what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen during this break. I have to accomplish X, Y, and Z in the house during, during this break and everything. How do you like avoid, you know, especially as someone who is, you know, a very highly organized person like you,
1: how do you avoid
0: sort of falling into that trap and allowing your break to just be a break?
1: That's a really good question. It's definitely something that like, is a is a work in progress. Um, one of those things is just being very transparent with everyone in my life about what I'm doing, sort of. So like that becomes an accountability thing. So like if I start like doing 1,800 things or planning too much for a break, it's like I thought this was a break, right? So my business partner is really good about calling me out on that because she's also a really good friend. My husband's really good about calling me out on that, and then I'm just like, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, so having those accountability partners is huge. Um, another part of it is, is I keep, um, on my phone and the reminder under the reminders app, like things I want to accomplish and sort of like a general timeline. So when I get to a break, I don't feel like I also have all of this stuff to do because like the daily activities of life can just fill up a break time. So making sure that like, if I'm knocking out, like calling the dentist or like filling out some online forms, if I'm not spending 10, 15 minutes a day doing that stuff, I already feel like I got stuff done. So when I get to that break, it can be a break.
0: Okay. And, you know, I know one of the things that that sort of I, I deal with, you know, even when I'm trying to, even when I'm trying to take breaks, um, you know, which, which, you know, I fully admit I'm not very good at. And, um, But one of the things that, that get into is like, even when I'm in my, you know, in my break time, you know, my mind is kind of going forward. And I know that's something that happens to a lot of people, you know, again, especially people who, you know, other people depend on in, in sort of the capacity that people depend on you and on, and on me. Um, So what are some, what are some strategies for kind of keeping yourself you know, keeping yourself present, keeping yourself in the moment, and again, allowing that break to really be a break.
1: This is definitely something I still struggle with. When I'm having those feelings, what I do is I'm gonna, I will say to myself, I, and I literally will set a timer on my phone and be like, I'm getting 45 minutes to organize this stuff. And when I'm done with my break, I'll get back to it. Because yeah, I'll be honest, it's sometimes really hard to shut off your brain. The key to doing it so it doesn't take up your whole break is to give it a time limit, right? Think about like scrolling on our phones, whether they're news headlines or social media or whatever. We get lost in it. It becomes a time suck. So if you don't make it a time suck, you can still enjoy the rest of your break because you have that feeling of, oh, I accomplished it, Um Something I think just in general is good for business owners to do is sort of set goals, like reflect on the quarter and what they want to do, what their goal is for for next quarter, sort of like what's going well and what do I need to improve? Because then you can be like, okay, now I have a actual tangible thing that I know I want to accomplish. I can't start that right now. If I rest up, I will have more energy to do it. The fact is, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll be forced into it, right? You'll get sick, you'll get worn out, um, any number of things. So the fact of the matter is either take the break or the break will end up getting forced upon you because no one likes to have to cancel sessions because they're sick, right? Right. But if we don't take those times to care for ourselves, we're not going to be able to care for our clients. And then Care for the people that we're providing services to, so it's important no matter how you look at it.
0: Sure. Um, and again, one of the one of the things that I know a lot of um, folks in the pet care industry deal with um, is they start thinking, you know, they get in that in that place where they're like, "Oh, I can accomplish, I can accomplish one more thing. I can do, I can do one or two more things before I need this break." And and it winds up being this kind of this kind of death spiral you know one thing leads to another leads to another leads to another um and and again i know that's a tendency of a lot of people in this in this field they want to keep going and they they always want to be kind of onto the next thing before they feel like they've they've sort of earned the break um yeah. and how do you you know how what are some strategies for getting you know for for breaking that cycle you know because I know I know at least for me even when I'm when I'm in that cycle and I can recognize that cycle it's still hard to break it
1: it absolutely is I think it's one of those things that like once you're in the cycle it's really hard to get off and I think it becomes like okay I'm in this cycle stopping and going what do I need to do to slow down and stop this before you get into the cycle I think it is going in with a plan and um coming up with how you don't want to, but also too, the same way that like I plan for my breaks, I plan for stopping. Like I have to say that you really do have to sort of schedule what your work periods look like. And even okay. on your end, it's that admin time where you're making right. lists, you're planning, how do I set up for my next week? What does my commute time look like? Am I gonna be able to eat lunch? Um, right. And looking at that, because if not, if you don't have a plan, you will just have a spiral and a mess because one more thing can just will, one more thing, one last email turns into 10 more emails. Of course. Uh, One more social media post turns into 20 more interactions or sending emails. So it really is about the organizational of all sort of the administrative tasks. I talk about it as like the business end of therapy. The amount of time I spend therapy is very small in conjunction to the amount of time I do administrative tasks. I imagine it is the same with your industry with with pet care, with pet care providers and trainers. I think it's sort of interesting because when you think about training a dog, and this is something you taught me is it's the repetitive practice, right? It's those small incremental steps. It's it, this is this is a chance for all of you to take some of your own advice, right? Right. Look at your worst case scenario and what would be one step to make it better, and then the next step, and then the next step. You're reverse designing till you get to a place for your planning.
0: Okay, cool. That, that's so definitely you, something I think people don't don't think about.
1: You have all the skills to do it. It's what you teach to your clients every day. <laughs> it's just reverse engineering it for you guys.
0: Okay. Um, and so, so, sort of the final thing I want to I want to get to um, is you know we've talked a lot about um, these things, compassion fatigue, imposter syndrome. We've talked a lot about it from sort of our end of it, how it how it affects us, how it you know how we can how we can deal with it, um, and all of that. What do you want people on the other side to know about it? The the clients, the people to whom you are providing the service. What do you want them to know about compassion fatigue and how it affects people um, in your line, in your line of work?
1: For sure. Um, I think it's important that everyone knows that like I always have, I always have your best interest at heart. If I have to cancel, it is because you are not going to get what you paid for. You are not going to get the best possible care that I could give you. I think it's also important to know, like be intentional about the questions you ask people. We all crave connectivity and we all crave love and support. And so don't ask someone how they're doing if you really don't want to know. Let's create a more realistic and open dialogue that allows people to communicate and be truthful with one another and compassionate.
0: Okay, um, actually I want, the. the was one more thing I wanted sure. to bring up. Um, and I'm curious how the pandemic has, has changed things because, you know, before the pandemic, you know, we're, we're going, you know, going to an office or going to, you know, or for me, I'm going, going over to people's, people's houses. And I, you know, and like for me, I eventually started doing that again, but I did, I did a lot of virtual work beforehand. And, you know, I, I would imagine you did a lot of, you know, virtual, you know, virtual therapy, how, you know, how does, how did the pandemic kind of affect um, sort of your work patterns and your break patterns, considering that like, you know, instead of, instead of going to an office every day, you were coming to just a room in your house. And, you know, me, I was, yeah. I was coming to my dining room and, and sitting down and, and talking with people when that, when that line between home and work isn't there is is much more blurry. How do you, You know, how do you avoid, you know, again, kind of overextending yourself?
1: Um, In all honesty, uh, all of the wonderful, useful tips and things I've talked about today were decimated. Okay. Um, (laughs) When everything, when we first went into lockdown here in Chicago, um, my schedule didn't change much. um, Right. Because I was still seeing clients in the evening, even though it was on Zoom. And I was still taking grad school classes, which had always been on Zoom. Um, but then came old clients coming out of the woodwork and new clients and me having all of this time and feeling like, and knowing that like through the networking I was doing that, like everyone was filling up and feeling like this was my responsibility not to turn people away. And that wasn't healthy for sure. Like I can look back at like my client notes and I was like, what was I doing? Um, okay. so I think it's one of those things that like being aware that there's only so much you can give. I mean, I probably doubled what I would normally see carry on my caseload during the oh, pandemic wow. um, in a way that was really just not healthy for me or my family, especially my dogs, um, who, by the way, started coming to therapy. Uh, the flip side of that, um, I will say, is like it forced me to stop and like reevaluate what I'm doing, get back to basics, um, and the other piece of it too is also it put me in a position where I'm better at asking for help. Okay. And saying like I can't carry this all. What can I do? I've learned how to say no. Which at 41 is. Slightly embarrassing to say that I'm bad at (laughs) saying that, but I am and I'm working on it and it's a work in progress. Um, I think the flip side is so many people, something that is a really a passion for me is helping people find therapists. So once I learned to say, no, I can't, but here's a list of other people with availability, that felt really good because it felt like I was still helping, but also like being responsible with my own time and my own care.
0: Okay, and I think that is uh, the best place—the best place to leave it. So, sure. Alex, thank you again for being a part of this. This was really cool. I think um, people don't totally know, even if, you know, even if they're in the middle of it. I think people don't totally know sort of what this thing looks like and how it can actually affect them, and you know, and, and the services they provide. And so, I think having having this will be will be really pretty helpful to people so thank you for for agreeing to be on the podcast
1: thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun all
0: right thanks so much for checking out hound opinions i'm bill mayroff and i'm the owner and chief canine officer of big wags chicago dog training and dog walking if you like what you hear i'd be really grateful if you could give hound opinions a good rating on apple Podcasts, google podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can find big wags chicago online at bigwagschicago.com and I'm at BigWagsChicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. If you have a dog question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at BigWagsChicago.com. Thanks.